Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, plenty of action, I guess, to get to as we're now in the midst of that post-Wimbledon portion of the season where we have some clay court tournaments and of course our big one here in Toronto National Bank Open right around the corner and good timing I think uh, for us and for yourself to, to chat with a Canadian player and Sharon Fishman as well. Yeah great to have Sharon back on the pod and you know like you I'm getting super excited for our home tournament the the big one in Canada for us being based in Toronto we're going to be covering primarily the the women's event the WTA tournament here and for the first time in three years for the first time since Bianca Andreescu won it's going to be a fully operational uh, accessible for fans accessible for media and it's going to feel like back to normal so that's really going to be great i'm super stoked and you know we'll chat a little bit later about some of the fun things we have in store but uh, this is the big one for us and as the official podcast of tennis canada we're going to have pretty much unparalleled access to all the players behind the scenes and a lot of fun stuff that we've got planned so i'm stoked and as you mentioned sharon fishman back with us this week and uh sharon who it kind of touches on both sides of professional tennis, both as a player and when she's not actively playing, she slides back into that role in the media as well. Yeah, um, it, it, it's great that uh, unfortunately, while she hasn't been competing in 2022, uh, for me, she's one of the, the best doubles players we've had over the past few years. Such a great resurgence after coming back for from her injury, playing so great, uh, especially last season. And Mikey, you kind of cover it all uh, with your interview. Uh, so without further ado, here's your conversation with Canadian doubles player Sharon Fishman. Happy to welcome back now to the podcast, to Matchpoint Canada, one of our uh, regular uh, guests, returning guests over the years, friend of the podcast, uh, professional tennis player for Canada and an accomplished broadcaster as well. Sharon Fishman, how you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me. It feels real good to be back. I feel like we've been kind of going back and forth for a little while now, and um, it's uh, definitely more on my end that things haven't have worked out yet, just as I have crazy dad brain, as I like to call it, and I get distracted by my kids and all the things they're doing this summer. But thank you for putting up with me and and always being so easy to get in touch with. And um, I mean, to start off, how's how's your summer going so far? Personally, it's been amazing. Um, I'm a lot of changes in my life since the end of last year, um, personally, and uh, obviously professionally too. I haven't been competing yet this year. Um, so for the most part, I guess uh, very, very little has has uh, has remained the same since the the end of the season last year. But it's been such a positive thing for me, a lot of growth. And I'm so grateful um, for this opportunity to have the time off and reflect. And um, also, you know, I've I've been in I've been battling some things uh, injury wise a lot last year. I, I played almost the entire year injured and. Um, I'm so grateful that my body held up as much as it did. My biggest goal was to go to the Olympics and I was able to do that. So I'm very proud of myself for pushing through, but this year really has just been about like healing myself and making sure that when I do come back and play that I'm really fully ready to go and I'm not playing with any sort of compromising uh, body part, so to speak. Um, so I've really just focused on, on healing my body in that sense. And also just enjoying my time at home in Toronto. I, I haven't been able to spend this much time in Toronto in so many years. I honestly, I think it's almost been maybe since I was in high school. So 
I'm loving that. And it's, it's really been a blessing in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to get back out there when my body's ready and my mind is ready. But, um, until then, you know, I'm really just, um, relishing in, in everything that's been going on. Well, that's really happy to hear that very positive news. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to hold back and I'm going to ask you right away then how close would you say you are? Cause I know we get asked a lot, Hey, when Sharon coming back, she had such a great 2021 on the tour. You and Juliana did so well, so many accomplishments, uh, career best, it seemed like, um, which was really inspiring. How close do you feel you're getting to um, stepping back out into tournament action? I definitely feel that I'm closer to it than not. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I, I did have some deadlines or I won't say deadlines. I had some goal dates, so to speak, in mind uh, as this year progressed. And for whatever reason, I've just had to adjust. And I think that um, initially when that first happened, I was quite sad that it wasn't working out the way I'd hoped. Um, and it just, it sort of made the comeback a little less fun in that sense. So I've now scrapped the idea of having a day, an exact day and time in mind. And I'm more just focusing on what's best for me. And uh, I've got a couple of goals that I'd like to hit before I get back out there and compete. So you know, baby steps. And once I'm able to do those things and I've achieved the things that I'd like to, um, then I'll get back out there. I just feel that, um, tying a moment to when I'm going to return right now, it's just not been something that's been the most positive, um, process for my return, I guess is the best way of saying. So I feel that I'm a lot closer than not. I'm out there practicing, I'm training. Um, it's good. And, uh, I guess when I'm ready, the, you know, when it's meant to happen, it'll happen, but I, I'm confident that it's closer than not. Yeah. Cool. Great. Great to hear. Um, does having the success you had a year ago, maybe add to that pressure? I mean, just, I was looking through before I came on with you just to refresh my memory, but quarters at the Aussie open round of 16 at the French and Wimbledon, um, going to the Olympic games, which I know was just, you know, you look forward to that so much and competing there. Um, and then winning in Rome, of course, which was uh, such a highlight, no doubt, from last year. Does the fact that you were, you know, hitting career high in rankings and things were going so positively with the results add any more pressure to wanting to feel like, oh, I have to be like 100 percent, whatever that is, before I you know, try to get back out there? That's a great question. No, <laughs> um, I, I really my, my journey back to tennis um, was in 2018. I quit initially in 2016. And when I came back, I had a very, you know, hard, strict goal of going to the Olympics. And when I did that, all these incredible things happened along the way. Obviously, you know, they say it's not about the end result, it's the process. And that's very true, I find. And when I did all those things, I realized, you know, what I'm, what I feel I'm capable of. Um, and the great, the beautiful part is that that's really exciting and it gives me a lot of confidence and, and hope. The other side of it too is I, I also could, you know, you, there's also the, the flip side and you can say, well, you know, I could have achieved so much more had I known this or if only this happened. And what I learned is that, you know, the only pressure there really is, is what you put on yourself and success and failure. That's just a perception um, and sort of a lens. And I think that in the end, um, what matters is that you're proud of yourself and 
honestly, like all these things, these incredible things that happened, I'm so happy they did, but they also could have, you know, we, we won most of our matches in Rome in third set tiebreakers. Like we could have also lost for sure. We were alternates. We should, you know what I mean? Right, we technically right. shouldn't have even gotten in. So, you know, this pressure to achieve to me is like, honestly, it's, it's so much is, is out of my control. You know, had I stayed healthy throughout the year and maybe taken a couple extra days off and not torn my shoulder at that exact moment, you know, that could have, that would have changed my entire life, but things work out the way they're supposed to. I truly, truly believe that. Um, I do, I do think like you can't, what's meant for you will find you. Um, if it's your destiny to do certain things, it's going to happen. You might take a longer route or a shorter one, depending on your attitude and your choices, but in a way it's actually freeing. I just, I just really feel, you know, that that pressure isn't there. What's most important for me actually is, um, you know, coming back hundred percent healthy. When you say 100%, 100%, you know, the way I interpret it is, you know, the way most people ask me and that's playing how I feel is my best ever and this and that. And honestly, <laughs> I just think that's, that's so, um, it's a, it's a, it's an impossible task to go after, you know, going out there, returning when you're playing your best. I mean, I've had matches and tournaments where I was in practice and leading up to the tournament, playing my best. And I showed up on court and played the worst match of my life. You know, I've also been practicing and leading up to tournaments playing so bad, you know, feeling like I was playing so bad, super not confident. And then did incredible Rome's another Rome is a great Rome is a great example for a lot of things, but I was, I was not confident going into Rome. I was, I felt like I, I had no feel my strings were off. Everything just was out of sorts yet by the end of the week, I was playing the best tennis I'd played in, in a long time. So I think trying to predict, you know, your peak shape and peak time to come back in a sport like tennis is so difficult because it's an open skill sport. You have an opponent, you have factors like the wind and travel and the sun and all these different things. Like you can't control that. So that that's a long winded way of explaining that coming back at quote unquote, hundred percent in that sense to me um, is sort of, if that's a goal of someone like go for it, but I find that to be unattainable. Um, what's most important for me really is just to be healthy and to feel like I can go out there and I can push my body to the limit that it's at right now being 31 um, and feel like I can come back the next day and the next day and the next day um, physically and mentally. So that's my goal. When I can do that, um, you know, to, to the, to the standard that I'm happy with, then I'll get back out there and just play for myself. That's really all I want to do. I've achieved my goals. Um, and really my goal now is just to go and just play for the little girl that picked up a tennis racket when she was four years old and just have a lot of fun and, and, you know, finish the rest of my career. However, that long that is on my terms, um, not tie it to a goal, just tie it to, you know, whatever my happiness guides me towards. And, and that's it. I love the mentality. I'm feeling so inspired just from hearing that answer <laughs> myself here. I want to go out and do something big today. Um, and, and I wonder if that's why we see some, you know, more players having success in their, in their thirties and having careers that stretch on longer and having career best results at that stage. 
I wonder if it's because of all you've learned and accumulated. Like, I'm sure that wasn't your outlook when you were 21, right? I know it wasn't my outlook when I was in my early 20s, when I was applying myself towards something that really meant a lot. And I put that pressure on myself. And it's just such a refreshing, you know, I, I, I hope you share that. I'm sure you share that with younger players, because uh, what a lesson to take from what you just said there. Thank you. Yeah, I, I mean, to touch on what you said um, about players achieving some of their best results in their career towards the ends of their career. Absolutely. I mean, perspective is, is something um, you, you can't substitute <laughs> and you only get that through experience, right? For the most part, they say you pay for wisdom with youth, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, in the end, I brought all the wisdom that you, that you really quote unquote need um, to achieve certain incredible things, you know, that takes time. And um, that's, definitely in my opinion why we see that and and the fact that also sports science has developed so much in the last you know 20 30 years so these players that have this knowledge and wisdom and experience are able to stay in their sport longer and use it um whereas you know 20 30 40 years ago we weren't seeing players you know winning slams the way that Djokovic and Nadal are um at the, that we are this day and age and and you know sports arguably is the um, highest level it's ever been at, you know, there's obviously greats in, in tennis um, that have achieved so much and won so much. But if you look at the depth and how hard players are hitting now and how fast players are moving um, it's just, it's not even, it's, it's very hard to, to deny that um, what these older players are doing is like, sure incredible. So um, I think the fact that they have so many resources to help their bodies physically keep them in the sport is just everything. And then they're able to, you know, apply all that wisdom and knowledge that they've accumulated through their career. It's, um, it's really incredible. So there's, there's so much, but then I also find, you know, sorry, I'm really tangenting here, but um, uh, to touch on again, what you said in that sentence, um, about like, I didn't think like this when I was 21 or 20 years old. Absolutely. Um, it's funny because I, I would hear the things I'm saying from people, you know, perspective and play for yourself and, um, you know, control, control what you can and let go of what you can't. And, um, you know, <laughs> winning and titles don't bring you happiness. Like I heard those things, but hard, they never, hard to relate to at that point, maybe. Right. And they never resonated with me because I wasn't ready to hear them yet. I hadn't, I hadn't, I hope it's okay to say this, but I hadn't gotten kicked in the ass by life enough to really have that sink in and understand that. So now at this stage with everything that I've personally been through, it all makes sense. Now it truly resonates and has sunk in. And I, and I live by that personally, I truly, truly do, but I wasn't ready to, to really understand those things when I was, when I was 21, I wish I was, but I wasn't, and I needed to go through everything I did to, to totally understand that. So, you know, whoever's listening to this, if you're a coach uh, or you are a player and you're younger and you sort of hear all these things like mindfulness and whatnot, um, and it doesn't just, you know, it doesn't sink in, or maybe your players aren't um, having it sink in quite yet. It's okay. Um, you know, people, people eventually get it when they're supposed to, but a surefire way to like not get through to someone is forcing it. Like you can, no one's ever learned by force. 
um, not well anyways. So, you know, the time will come, but just keep planting those seeds and um, they'll, they'll, you know, grow into something when the time's right. I feel like all the 20 year olds who are listening now or like late teens are like, oh, with these two old folks just get over it already. <laughs> and not that you're old. I mean, I'm turning uh, 36 for the sixth time this weekend. So Amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I got a bit of a head start on you. Um, really nice. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll turn 37 this year. I don't know. I think I'm going to stay at 36. Um, <laughs> hey, I want to ask you about your, your doubles partner, Juliana. I mean, Juju, as you've called her and so clear the last time we spoke, the last few times we spoke and how close you guys have been as, as friends and uh, teammates on the court. Is it tricky in doubles when one player's ready to come back and the other one has, you know, I don't want to say moved on, that's the wrong term, but has found someone in the interim, um, especially if they're having any success with that partner. How does that work in terms of like, hey, I'm ready to go again. Are we back on? Are we not? How do you how do you guys play that? Um, that's a good question. I'm also relatively new to playing only doubles. I played singles most of my career. So I think it's really situation dependent. Um, with Juliana, she actually was planning to play with Gabby next year before I decided I wasn't going to play. Um, so that was sort of a um, flip of the switch that happened at the last moment towards the end of the year, uh, excuse me, towards the end of the year. And um, yeah, so they're playing together. And um, to be honest with you, most of the teams that I've seen, like, I mean, there's a few over the years that stay together, but there's a lot of flip-flopping and change. Um, so I think, again, it's situational, situation-dependent. So I don't know. I, I, I have, I've kept in touch with her. You know, we, we, still, um, we still keep in touch and everything. So who knows, really? I just think, like, um, it's just important to, to try and be kind to everyone and, and be respectful because, you know, things change real quick in sports. So you never know who you're going to end up playing with for a long time or a short time. Um, and you just, you know, just do your best to, to, to be great, gracious and kind and respectful. And um, that's sort of how I see it, really. Well, I have no doubt that when you are ready to come back, there'll be plenty of doubles players out there who will be texting you and reaching out to you <laughs> to try and get you first if you are looking for someone at that point in time. Um, what's been keeping you busy in the meantime? Um, I think you did some coverage this year for, was it Billie Jean King cup? Um, you and Carol and Cameron, who, uh, also were a great doubles tandem off the court. Although I think you guys hit in real life too, sometimes, um, will you be working for the upcoming, uh, national bank open in Toronto doing some coverage? What's, uh, what's kind of going on on that side of, of the, you know, tennis world? Yeah. So, um, I, yes, Carol's great. I've been actually hitting with her on and off a lot this year, whenever she's been in Toronto. Um, a lot happened with me since the end of last year, a lot of person, a lot of changes in my personal life that just needed my full attention. Um, so that was a big part of why I took some time off as well. Um, also just like I said, um, a lot of rehab because I did a number to my shoulder last year. So it really just needed some serious TLC, um, I moved, which was so exciting. Um, still in Toronto, based out of Toronto, but um, that's been such a really fun change for me. I've loved it. So that's kept me really busy um, as well. And yeah, I've done some stuff with Sportsnet this year and that's been amazing. I love sports broadcasting. It's really fun and it makes it even more of an enjoyable experience because the people I get to work with like Carolyn are just so wonderful. And yes, I will be doing the coverage for the national bank open this year. I'll actually be hosting at the desk 
Um, yes, yeah, so with Danielle and Robert Bettauer. So that's going to be really fun. And um, Carolyn is actually going to be doing, um, she's going to be in the booth with Tracy Austin this year. So oh, a little cool. bit of a different change, uh, yeah, a little bit of a, a change bit. up. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. So I'll be based out of Montreal uh, for the tournament. And oh, we're not going to get you here in Toronto. No, no. They're going to set up the studio where the men are. Um, so, but you will see me on TV. <laughs> I will be there. So definitely tune in and, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a real good time. Cool. And that sounds awesome that Tracy and Carolyn are going to be an all female tandem in the booth as well for, um, I would imagine probably a lot of the women's matches here in Toronto. Um, we're so stoked. I mean, tennis fans, I talk to people at the local club here in Mimico where I live. Um, my kids are excited to go back for family day and the free qualies weekend and all the stuff they have for the kids there too. Not to mention Ben and myself, just having the podcast back at full effect throughout the nine days of the tournament. And, uh, you know, last year was, it was back on, but it was reduced where fans could only be on the main show court, uh, center court. And so this year it sounds like back to business, which is great. How important is it, you know, from your perspective, both as a, a player uh, and someone who's in the media as well, kind of covering both sides to have this big tennis event in Montreal and Toronto back at, you know, hundred percent. I mean, it's, it's really everything for Canadian tennis, you know, first off, even let's talk financially, there's a huge amount of revenue for tennis Canada from those two events. And that, that money, a lot of that money goes into player development. And that's really the kind of, roots of tennis here we need that um in order to to keep producing the players that that have been coming out of canada in the last um you know decade really so that's it's it's integral for for the development of, of canadian tennis and then you know beyond that it, it inspires so many people i i've been going to the tournament since i was four or five years old um and that was really what gave me so much of a drive to be a professional tennis player and it was just it was something that every year I looked forward to and my friends looked forward to and my family looked forward to and it was a place where people created memories and I know my family certainly did so I just think it's so important to have events like this in order to to expose people and especially young kids in the future of tennis to high level professional men and women's tennis because that is what's going to get kids super interested and excited to get out there, pick up a racket and play the sport. And that's what we need. So on so many levels, it's very important. And I'm just really excited that it's going to be back in full effect. I actually, um, I bumped into Carl Hale yesterday and he was, you know, kind of reeling off a bunch of things that are going to be happening. And it just sounds so exciting. So I'm very happy and excited for the Canadian fans and, and the fans that are coming in from outside of Canada, just the fans in general, because it sounds like it's going to be a blast. Yeah, I'm super stoked. And I can relate to what you were saying about being a kid and, you know, getting turned on to the sport by attending it. Cause I mean, it didn't inspire me to become a professional, but I still play recreationally. And uh, I grew up at Jerry near Jerry park in Montreal. So for me, that was my first exposure to it. And uh I mean, I've got a picture, you know, back when you would develop pictures of me and Jim Courier when he was number one in the world. Oh, and he's wow. like signing a tennis ball for me. And I'm looking up at him with this, you know, admiration and and idolizing him. And 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 now I've got a picture of me interviewing him since coming over to this side of things. And, and it inspired me to to love tennis and to then turn it into something that is, you know, it doesn't feel like a job, but something that obviously, um, you know, I can still do at this age and and be in touch with the sport. 
And that never would have happened without attending that tournament, I think, and, and being inspired by athletes like yourself and others. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful story. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, for fans coming back to Toronto, maybe a little bit out of practice with being all around the grounds, players everywhere, coming from practice courts, watching doubles matches, singles matches, all that kind of stuff. Do you have any tips um, from a player's perspective on, on what players appreciate in terms of when fans see you walking around the grounds or, or that sort of, I don't know, like tennis etiquette or, or approachability, that sort of stuff? Um, the first thing I can think of is just be kind. I, I think, you know, everyone, all, you know, whether it's the number one ranked player in the world um, or someone that just got a wild card and it's their first time playing or, or anything in between, and they're all, we're all, we're all human beings. So just, just be kind. Um, and if I could give um, a couple pieces of advice, it would be just try and read the situation. If a, if a player comes off court and they just lost and you can kind of see on their face that they're pretty gutted then maybe not the best time to like run right up to them and shove something in their face um, and say, please sign this and take a photo. Um, if you do, you know, there are some players that are super nice and are able to just you know, put that aside and, and take a, a photo. Um, if they don't have the best reaction, uh, don't take it personally. It's not a reflection of you. <laughs> it's just a reflection of uh, them in that moment. So, um, you know, they are human, right? So just uh, understand that if you were having a really, really bad day and someone asked to take a photo of you and you were super sweaty and angry, like you probably wouldn't be thrilled either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that that uh, that's the best piece of advice I can give. But um, just go have a lot of fun and, and just enjoy the moment. Wear a lot of sunscreen as a tennis fan. Wear a lot of sunscreen. Um, it's going to be hot this year. <laughs> Seriously, I always try and find that like shaded area. I think it's around like the section like 125, 126 in Toronto. Stay shaded the longest. And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't have a lot of coverage up top anymore. So uh, <laughs> the more shade, the better for me. Um, <laughs> A couple more questions before I let you go here, if that's cool. And um, one would be, are there any um, young up and coming um, female Canadian players who are going to be here in Toronto in August that you would recommend for, you know, tennis fans to go and check out, you know, sort of like I remember watching Bianca play qualies when she was 16 or 17 uh, and look at what she's done. And obviously not every player is going to experience that kind of, you know, explosion in their career. But it's always cool when you see a player and then they move on to bigger things, as, as many of you have done. Anyone on your radar, um, young Canadian-wise, that might not be like a household name yet to check out? Uh, that's a great question. I'm going to start that with... Hmm. I'm going to preface my answer with, I don't think the wild cards are announced yet. They're not. They're not. Okay. So in saying that, I'm just be fully aware that I could say a name of a player that may not be playing in it this year, because I don't know the logistics yet. I don't it's always know tricky, politics. right? It's always tricky. Yeah. yeah the politics you know, for sure. Exactly. And when I say politics, what I mean is, you know, it's very common for countries to trade wild cards with each other. Um, so tennis Canada has some wild cards, to this event, which is really big. And, um, you know, maybe France or Australia approached them and said, hey, we'll give you a wild card for next year's Grand Slam if you give us one, you know, things like that happen. So if that's the case, that can affect the number of wild cards, which then affects the number of Canadians you'll see in the draw. So but even um, in uh, yeah, even in qualifying, you know, maybe even some, yes. some ones that we've seen qualies. 
For sure. So just to give some context there, but um, I, you know, I, I'm really excited for the future of Canadian tennis um, on the women's side. Uh, there's some juniors that have been doing super well. So there's Kayla Cross, uh, who I've known for a really long time. She actually works with my coach as well. Uh, Simon Bartram out of the Toronto lawn. So I get, I've hit with her since she was a kid and she's, she's a really great person. Um, just a very gifted natural athlete. And, uh, you know, she's super fun to watch too. Um, she has this tremendous toolbox of skills, uh, when she plays tennis, you know, one of the only players I see, um, you know, grinding from the baseline and then she'll, you know, just rush to the net, throw slices in heavy top spins angles. She's so comfortable taking the ball of the air and, and she's really an all court player and she's a lefty, which is really cool. Um, so she's great. I know Vicky and Boko is doing super well. Um, and she's another excellent athlete, great person too. Such a cool, cool girl. And, um, I've known her since she was, uh, kind of coming up still, I think she's nine or 10 years old when I first met her and she's been doing so great. Um, in on the junior circuit. So um I'm really excited to see those two competing. Hopefully there's also, you know, there's others and I, I feel so bad if I'm missing out because at the same time, like I'm I'm not as in touch with what's happening on the junior side as I am um on the pro side necessarily. Um but uh, I know there's also Mia Kupris that's playing and and she's been doing well. Um so there's there's a lot of exciting um players on the girls side. I know also on the um, men's side, we've got Jaden Weeks, I think, who's been doing pretty well. Uh, and, and is, if I'm not mistaken, the highest ranked under 18 boy we have for, for we'll, Canada. I we'll could have to check wrong. that in editing. Yeah. We're going to have to check that. Okay. We'll leave, leave that up to you, but he's definitely, um, been very successful, um, on the, the Canadian boy side throughout juniors, you know, under 10, under 12, whatnot. So, um, that's really exciting. And I, I hope that, you know, he'll, he'll get a chance to play out there. That's super important. So, um, yeah, those are the names I can really think of, but it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be some really great Canadians out there to watch. So, uh, keep your eyes out. It'll be fun. Well, thanks for summing that up and, uh, sorry, we won't get to see in Toronto in person, but we'll look forward to your coverage on the desk from Montreal and uh, wishing you continued success in your journey, however long it takes to get back on the court. And we'll be all really stoked and, and supporting you when you when you get there. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. There you have it, Mike's interview with Sharon Fishman. I, I think it's smart of her not to put a precise deadline on like when to return. I think that could cause you to maybe put some additional pressure on yourself. Like I have to be back by October or I have to play this tournament uh, at this point in time. So not rushing the return, which is probably wise. That, that kind of makes me think of Jeannie Bouchard at the same time too, who has been rehabbing that shoulder for a long time. We thought she was ready, but she's not rushing the comeback either. And every injury is different and every player is different. And uh, for Sharon, it feels like it's not just about the physical, but also being like mentally ready to step back out mm -hmm. there and, and be at her best. And, I just love listening to her speak. She's such a positive individual. She just radiates so much positivity. And you can tell she's just like, I want to say like at peace with the universe. Like she's just yeah. got a good 
kind of aura around her. Like I might just save that interview and play it on days where I'm feeling kind of down because it really brought my spirits up just talking to her. And I, I ended that and we chatted for like another 10 minutes after recording. And uh, again, someone I could talk to um, for, for a long length of time, just because of that great mentality. And uh, I think when she does come back, it'll be super interesting to see who she partners with. Maybe there'll be a few different players at different tournaments before something clicks with someone permanent. Uh, but Sharon was playing for sure the best tennis, I think, doubles-wise of her career. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see no reason if the shoulder is, is good to go that she can't get back into that groove and still have some really solid results, both individually and hopefully for Canada as well. Like Billie Jean King Cup, let's be honest, her and Gabby Dabrowski would be such a top-notch um, pairing for that competition. Yeah, it, it would be amazing to see her get back on the international stage again as long as, uh, along with, uh, pardon me, just competing regularly on the tour, which I'm sure will come in, in 2023. And I'm sure there will be some some trial and error with different partners and, and finding the right fit, which she obviously did have uh, last season playing so well with Juliana Olmos, who now plays uh, with Gabby Dabrowski. And of course, that's a great pairing as well. Um, they'll definitely be in action at the National Bank Open. We should get to some NBO news as it is around the corner. Uh, For me, the big news in terms of competitors here in Toronto, both Serena and Venus Williams accepting wild cards to play at the NBO. And I think we have to recognize here, this is really the final opportunity, I would say, for Toronto fans to likely see these two in action here. It's got to be. I feel like with Venus being 42, Serena being 40, um and the fact that it alternates every year for those who aren't familiar this year the women are in toronto next year they'll be in montreal so the you know the the chances of them being back in toronto in 2024 are slim to numb i would say if you're listening to this and you're in the toronto area or you're close enough to come to the tournament and either you haven't before or you're not sure if you're going to commit this year i definitely come out Uh, you know bring your kids if you've got them if you don't have kids just come on out because this is going to be your last chance probably in, in Canada, in Toronto anyways, to see these two great legends of the sport. Um, and, and I got to be honest, I did not think we were going to get necessarily either of them. So the fact that both are going to be here makes this tournament super special. There hasn't been a tournament uh, where they've both played in singles in, you know, over a year at this point. So um, this is a unique uh, opportunity. Serena, who last won in Toronto in 2013, Venus last made the finals in Montreal in 2014. I'm not expecting a deep run from either, but perhaps just one last chance to uh, give them a good Canadian send off and support and, and share that appreciation for what they've done over their careers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've we've had those moments in the past where I, I think we recognize the last time Roger Federer was in Toronto, chances kind of feeling low that he'll be able to ma- make it back here. Uh, I suppose it's it's possible next season, um, but just getting that opportunity, you know, even five years ago, seeing him compete in Montreal, um, the chances get fewer and far between um, as these players age. And and Serena has had great success in the past in Canada and in Toronto. I, she's won the title a few times. Of course, she was in the final. A few years ago, we know she's in the twilight of her career, Um, but for her and Venus, this this speaks, I think, to their passion for the sport. And I I think Serena really wants to make a final push and and feel kind of prepared to be competitive at the U.S. Open as well. Well, it'll be interesting if we get the chance, I'm sure we will, uh, to talk with them in press to find out what their mentality is and what their goals are here. 
I'm really curious for Venus as well. Is this just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, wanting to play for, for fun? Maybe she really enjoyed being back at Wimbledon and mixed doubles. Hey, wants to get a couple more uh, singles competitions in there, perhaps see what she can still do. For Serena, no doubt, uh, I think going into the U.S. Open cold would have been a huge mistake. So not surprised that she's going to play uh, Montreal, or sorry, Toronto and Cincinnati. Um, and for me, like, when I'm on the grounds of a tournament, I like bouncing around and, and it's hard for me to stay with one match all the way through. Cause I feel like I'm missing out some of the fun, some of the action on other courts, but when Serena and Venus step out there, I'm going to be sitting at the you know courtside for those matches from start to finish uh, guaranteed. Yeah. Have to have to see it. Um, Naomi Osaka, I should note also signed up to play the national bank open some news on her front that she split with head coach Wim Fissett, uh, who was her coach uh, for her 2020 U S open and 2021 Australian open titles, uh, has a strong resume as well. Coaching Victoria Azarenka, Simona Halep in the past, not the first time Osaka has, has split with a high profile coach. If we remember a few years ago, her parting with uh, ways with Sasha Bajin. Uh, so, I, I think she wants a kind of a, a rejolt here in her season where she hasn't done all that much. Of course, we didn't see her at Wimbledon, probably didn't have the best uh, clay season, which was a little limited. These are sort of the courts where she plays her best tennis. So I'd love to see Osaka back, you know, playing as strong as she can ahead of the U.S. Open as well. Uh, the last big tournament she had was the Miami Open. Uh, right, she didn't even have clay. Pardon me, she didn't even play clay season. <laughs> um, oh, she played. What did she play? She played uh, Madrid, and she played okay, Roland she Garros played, going out. She played the, the French, right? Second round and the first round. Amanda Nisimova took her out yes. of the French. Amanda has been playing so good this year that mm-hmm. didn't really surprise me, to be honest, on clay. Uh, right. But Miami Open made the finals, losing to Sviantec. Mm-hmm. No reason she can't uh, have a good run in Toronto. And, um, you know, the U.S. Open is her last chance to get a slam this year. And Osaka is the only player who's won a slam every year since 2018. So this, you know, is her last chance to potentially keep that streak going, uh, which would be five consecutive years. And I think, obviously, it it seems like that's probably not super likely. She's not going to be going in as the favorite unless she goes on a real tear in Toronto and Cincy. Um, But I wouldn't put anything past her. And uh, changing coaches and making decisions on her terms, also not surprising. Osaka has definitely shown uh, an aptitude and a willingness to do what she feels is right in many aspects of her life. And uh, I really admire that about, uh, about her. Yeah, and she, she's actually playing an exhibition in San Jose uh, as well this week. Just uh, quickly to go into the memory banks, last time I saw Osaka in Toronto, three years ago she played, and one of those night matches her first night match there against Iga Sviantek. Tough straight sets win, which I watched. And I remember at the time thinking, wow, this Sviantek moves incredibly well. She could be a great player. Uh, sure enough, <laughs> world number one a few years later as you fast forward. Um, just on the men's side, we'll have one of the big three. If he is healthy, uh, come Montreal, Rafael Nadal expected to play. Novak Djokovic, unel- ineligible to play. And I'm highly doubting that changes uh, with with his uh, vaccination status. That I, I think he's going to miss this North American hard swing, uh, hard court swing with Montreal, Cincinnati, and the U.S. Open because I really don't see anything changing. Yeah, and I don't think there's too much more to add there. I mean, it's not like Novak's going to go out and change his mind on this. This is his stance. No. He's been very clear about that. So, you know, I'm tired of debating that one. He's made that choice. Uh, he's willing to, uh, you know, miss out on the opportunity to add to his Grand Slam count. And uh, that would mean that his next opportunity would be potentially Australia next year if Australia changes and reverses their decision to 
ban him from the country over the you know debacle that ensued uh, at the start of this year. So we'll wait and see. Uh, one place we do know we're going to be seeing Novak Djokovic, and this was big news, is at the Laver Cup. Uh, to talk about that momentarily, where Team Europe is set to have all of the big four, not an expression we use that much anymore, but all no. of the big four, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and Andy Murray. And uh, as if, you know, I don't know if they needed help with ticket sales or whatnot, I would doubt it. But this is definitely, I think, pushed them over the top in terms of when else are you potentially ever going to get to see all four of them in competition at uh, the same event? You never know. And certainly competing alongside each other's teammates. This is a very unique uh, experience. You know the four of them are going to have a blast. And I think, hey, maybe this can get tennis Twitter to put aside their differences because normally we see such strife and division, I hate to Mm -hmm. say, amongst some fans of certainly Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. Maybe this is an opportunity to kind of bring people together and like, kumbaya, let's all just hold hands and get along here, guys. I mean, if the the big four, I mean, Andy Murray, we know, gets along with everybody. But uh, particularly if we're talking big three, Federer, Nadal and Djokovic, I mean, they don't they seem to have such a healthy rivalry and great respect for one another. And I'd love to see that amongst the fan bases as well on Twitter, which uh, doesn't seem to exist, uh, though, I suppose if you want sort of rationality, Twitter is not the website to go to. But this this definitely feels like uh, once in a lifetime last opportunity for this. And you measure up these rosters. And I, I know Team World hasn't announced a roster yet, but. How is I think they're bad? gonna. I think like, I think they're just gonna withdraw. I think team uh, <laughs> team rest of the world is just gonna say, you know what, we're gonna pass. This. I know. Like how how on earth how on earth could Team World win this thing? Like the the European squad is is so unbelievably stacked. You look even inside just the top twenty of the rankings. Imagine if they were bringing along and maybe they bring along Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Alcaraz, Rublev, Rude, all of these guys. Uh, Maybe maybe we need to see some major heavy lifting actually from Felix and Dennis to get this thing thing done yeah, for Team gonna, World because they're going to have to. It's those two and and Taylor Fritz who are who are the highest ranked uh, Team World players at the moment. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Look, Andy Murray is not the Andy Murray of years past, despite That's some true. good uh, results, especially on grass semi recently. So, but you know, this is not peak Andy Murray. Roger Feder, I mean, who knows still if he's going to be, maybe he'll just be courtside kind of coaching and, and have doubles. a laugh with the guys, maybe playing double. Who knows if he's going to be ready to go or not. And if he is, not a lot of match experience the past year and a half, obviously. So it's not like you're getting peaked, Roger, either. True. Nadal, how much is, you know, he going to have left in the tank after the U.S. Opens? You know, and same with Djokovic, where we're expecting a deep run from both of those guys. So maybe it's not quite as lopsided as everyone's making it out to be. It's just the star power, you know, and the awe factor of looking across the net and seeing those four guys, holy smokes, especially for young guys like Felix and Dennis, who've grown up watching all four of these guys that they're, you know, dominating best. So uh, they'll have to sort of check that, that's, you know, that star power and, um, you know, the awe factor, I guess. Um, I'm wondering what we'll see in 2023 in Vancouver. Will we get to how many of these big four will we get there? Um, one other thing before we move off from Labor Cup is uh, mm-hmm. ticket prices. Holy smokes. Uh, the Saturday, Sunday are already sold out. I was looking at the website just before we got on uh, air together here. The Friday, the only tickets that are left are going for the cheapest ones left are 464 British pounds a pound. Wow. wow. Yeah. Okay. So All right. having those big four names, you can imagine what that's done to ticket prices, of course. 
Yeah, media credentials very much required for Vancouver 2023. <laughs> right. I right. won't be paying get on those that prices. Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I'm ready to submit my request right away. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada, also on YouTube and Facebook. A few tournaments to get to, biggest one being Hamburg uh, 500 on the ATP side and WTA uh, was 250. Carlos Alcaraz reaching the final. Final vying for his fifth title of the season. I really thought he was going to get it, but Lorenzo Musetti uh, coming through for the three-set victory, uh, despite Alcaraz saving five championship points in the second set. Musetti, kind of a forgotten name, I think, to a degree, because he slumped badly in 2021, basically right after Roland Garros. He had those that two sets to love lead against Novak Djokovic, people will remember, round of 16. After he lost that match, he went through a really brutal stretch but uh the way i saw him playing this tournament i i feel like he could be another one of these young faces that we're seeing certainly top 10 and better in in the years to come given his talent it was kind of like a reminder oh yeah musetti right there was a lot of hype about him like 100 years ago right yeah. and, and what's happened since then um i gotta be honest i didn't pay you know super close attention to the tournaments last week it's kind of like that lull for me where grass court is finally over Mm-hmm. The hardcore swing hasn't really fully geared up yet. What's with these? Nothing against clay court tennis. I love it. It just always strikes me as an odd time of the year to see tennis on on the clay. Um, and I don't know about you. I'm already like pre-planning some writing for the National Bank Open and getting in that hardcore mentality. So kind of missed a little bit this week. Um, it was nice to see Contivate, uh, Annette Contivate, uh, pull the title. Uh, Her finals, having... actually. Pardon me. She got to the final. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, hasn't been as as good at 2022 for the Estonian as it was in, in 2021. Uh, the results just haven't been as consistent for her. So I don't know. Like there was a time where we were thinking, oh, Annette Contivate, Grand Slam contender. Mm-hmm. And I'm no longer really vibing with that at the moment anyways. And it, it, it's strange that she has this world number two ranking. And you look at the WTA results, the number of titles she won, that incredible indoor stretch that she had through the tail end of 2021, got her sixth title early 2022. And then she hasn't been past the quarterfinals of a slam before she made the quarters of the Australian Open a couple of years ago. But since then, it's been third round or worse. And it's just a little puzzling losing second round in Australia. She'd been playing great going into it goes out first round in French second round of Wimbledon. So I got to see something at the majors before it's a name I, I start picking. And I remember I picked her to win the Australian open at the front end of the season for a little tennis Canada expert pool. Uh, we don't, we don't sh- forget those picks. do we? <laughs> why we shouldn't uh, attach the word expert next to my name, uh, that example right there, but she'll certainly be playing uh, in Toronto and Cincinnati ahead of the U S open a uh, fantastic hardcore player. So if you are down at the event, check her out at the national bank open quickly at the Swiss open and Gustad Casper Ruud defended his title now up to nine singles titles which is so impressive beat Matteo Berrettini in the finals for me side storyline Dominic team reaching the semifinals and winning matches again which I think is fantastic to see and I miss his form when he was you know winning a U.S. Open and reaching the finals of the French and and one of the best four or five players in the world yeah, winning the U.S. Open uh, the U.S. Open with no fans in the stands and that right. uh back and forth match about like who doesn't want to win this slam between him and and Sasha's Zverev it was an odd one for sure but highly entertaining especially into that fifth set 
Um, yeah, he's coming back around. I mean, he beat RBA the week before, I believe, at the Swedish Open. So that's mm-hmm. a, a big victory. Uh, it's interesting, eh? Because team's turning 29 this September. And for such a long time, people were like, oh, this is going to be Nadal's successor on clay. This is going to be the next guy to consolidate a few French Open titles. Small problem, though. Nadal still isn't ready to pass the torch at the age of 36. And, uh, you know, yet again, we've seen generations kind of go through their prime years without winning as many majors or any majors as we thought they might because of big three domination. And Mm -hmm. now with injury issues and and whatnot, are we going to see team, you know, back to that slam contender status that we were so uh, eager and ready to anoint him with a couple of years ago. Yeah, look, it, it's difficult. There's so many players to still supplant and he, he's working his way up from, I mean, his ranking right now is 199. Like he still has a very, very long way to go to get back to the upper echelon of the game. I hope he can do it. I, I love his game. I think he has the talent and the drive to do it, um, but a lot of great players still in front. So I'm sure he'll keep working away. Hopefully I uh, can make a trip to Montreal. Maybe he'll have to go through quality qualifying if he doesn't get a wild card I, I would say he deserves a wild card though um but anyway as as we wrap up this episode we should say that uh we've given away a couple tickets in the past and we have another pair available for national bank open uh, toronto monday august 8th evening session uh pair of tickets hey i'm gonna put you on the spot do you want to give away more than just one pair of tickets i'm okay with that because we're kind of running out of time. Like I'm looking at the calendar. Yeah. And we're two weeks away from the start of that, you know? Let's and let's do two pairs. Two, two pairs. Two pairs, two pairs of two tickets. So four tickets total. Um, a chance for a pair of winners. So Monday, Monday and Tuesday, right? Okay, Monday and Tuesday. Right. One on the Monday evening and one pair on the Tuesday evening. And uh, so we'll we'll draw two winners' names on our next episode. And to enter, uh, what, retweet the, the latest episode or, or share on, on Instagram. Is that how we're uh, going to roll with this one? I, I think we could do a DM if you want to do that. You can tell we haven't planned this out at all, right? Okay, we're just <laughs> making this up as we as we go along. You, what well, do you want? I like the, let's retweet. Let's retweet it because it gets okay, okay. out there a little bit more, maybe you know. Sure, we'll um, do a we'll do a retweet. So retweet our podcast for a chance to win uh, a pair of tickets, either the Monday session or the Tuesday session. And if you're if you're a winner, um, you can tell us which evening is is better for you. How about that? We'll do it that yeah. way. And you can also reshare our story um, of the podcast on Instagram as well for a chance to win. Uh, we got to draw a name right now, though, because uh, last right. week when you and James Gray got together to do the episode, which uh, thank you very much for that, by the way, um, we were giving away a uh, Bianca Andrescu book, BB's Got Game, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fantastic story of, uh, you know, her mental resilience and what she's learned from her, her mom and her dad and, and how to get through tough times. And it's a great book for kids, but there's a message in there for anybody. And uh, thank you to everyone who entered uh, this week. Our winner uh, is Bradley Panter. So Bradley, thank you for uh, entering. We will uh, be in touch to get your address and mail you a copy of that, which hopefully will be in your hands by the time the tournament uh, starts in a couple of weeks. Yeah, congrats uh, for the victory there. Please enter the next draw. Get a chance to see Bianca Andrescu in action. Maybe Leila Annie Fernandez in action down at the National Bank Open in Toronto. Man, I'm getting so hyped for this tournament. It's uh, it's like our Super Bowl, really. Yeah, and uh, you know the the list of uh, qualifiers should be released. I would say sometime this week. The men's tournament already did it. And we got David Gaffe, uh, nice. we got Fabio Fanini. Um, there's some, there's some really good names. A very strong qualifying draw. 
in Montreal, not to mention the Canadian young Canadian talents who will also be in there. I'm very excited to see who the women's uh, qualifying draw is going to hold. And uh, one name that uh, we got to mention as we wrap up here is 15 year old Canadian Victoria Maboko, who won the 25 K in Saskatoon, 15 years old. And she beat uh, obviously higher ranked players, much older players in this professional tournament. And uh, you had the chance to speak with her, I believe in Kayla cross earlier this year. Um, a little ahead of schedule here with uh, with the victory of this magnitude, I would say. No kidding. Well, it was after they uh, made a junior slam run in doubles together, making a final. And sure enough, uh, Victoria defeated Kayla actually at this tournament in the round of 16, 6-4, 6-1. She took out the top seed, Grammatica Polu, uh, in the first round in three sets. After that, didn't drop a single set. And it, in fact, the tightest set from that victory on was 6-4. So you look at the final win, 6-2, 6 love. Super Super impressive young player already winning a Saskatoon challenger at the age of 15. Uh, Just incredible. Another great talent in the pipeline. I feel like this victory and I have no insider information, but I feel like this victory has to get her a qualifying wild card. I would think so. I would definitely think so. Um, Um, You play that well. Main draw might might be a little soon for a 15 year old, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, she, she, I certainly think has earned a spot in, in qualifying for Toronto. And that's one of the beauties of the tournament, too, you know, as we uh, finish off here is just getting to see some of those young up and coming Canadian talents. I remember Bianca Andrescu as a 16 year old qualifier. Yeah. Uh, so many other names, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, men's and women's side. So you got to get out there and see some of these kids who are either competing down NCAA tennis like Carson Branstein or Victoria Maboko, who's clearly uh, on track for, uh, you know, a professional career at some point. Um, and you can say, hey, I remember when I saw them way back when. Exactly. Um, well, we thank you guys for listening to Matchpoint Canada. Please retweet this podcast for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the National Bank Open. Thanks for listening, guys. We will talk to you next time.